0: My name is James uh, Martin Schaefer. I am the third child of my amazing mother, Stephanie Elizabeth Grissom. I am the first uh, child and son of my uh, father, Chauncey Martin Schaefer. And I had an amazing childhood. And I'd like to share a little bit about that with you this very day. Um, my father married my mother, who had already had two children. So I have an amazing older brother, Christopher Schaefer, and an older sister, uh, Kim Schaefer, now Swanson. My father, out of respect for wanting to have a solid family, adopted them um, and then uh, began our family together. We ended up having uh, another sister, so I have a younger sister, Robin, and then uh, had another younger brother, Stephen, And we had this uh, family of, you know, five kids, a mother and a father on one income. My uh, father was a mechanic in the city of Bellingham, Washington. And while we really did not have much, from my perspective, we had a very happy childhood. And I can remember uh, being just so flat out uh, happy about getting to wake up in this little home that we had with my siblings, my mom and dad, and I can remember how the weekends were so fantastic, and I can uh, then remember a Sunday morning, and I've always been a a person who wakes up early, I don't, that's just kind of the way I'm wired, but... uh, I just do, and I can remember getting up very early on a Sunday morning, my family didn't go to church or anything like that, and I woke up to uh, fighting and yelling, and so I walked into the kitchen, at which time I saw my uh, father and my mother in a very heated um, argument, debate, and fight. They looked at me, and I can remember these words all too well, my mom said, it's over. And I really wasn't sure what that meant. I think I, I kind of did. I was only six years old at the time. Um, and I never, never knew about divorce, but I, I could kind of sense that's what she meant. And then my father said, fine, I'm leaving. But then he looked at me, and he said, uh, will you come with me? And I can remember I was confused. I meant, uh, yeah, just wasn't sure, do you mean come with you if you're leaving like you're leaving forever. Now I have to choose between you and my mom. Is that what you mean? Or do you mean you're just leaving right now and you want somebody to be with you? And I honestly, I couldn't tell, but I did not want my dad to be alone on such an awful day, so I went with him, not really knowing uh, what it all meant. And then from there, we drove across town to my uh, Uncle Rob's house. He had just gotten married to my Aunt Claudia. And my dad went and spoke with, Uncle Rob and Aunt Claudia was uh, just loving on me and just trying to make that awful day not quite so awful. Then uh, from there, it did end in divorce. And I can remember coming back uh, to the house, and and it was just never the same. I hope hope some of you know what I mean, and some of you hopefully don't know what I mean. But you come back, and, and it's not... The same, and there was a great loss in my life that day, and the loss was a sense of assurance and security of a home life. And when you're six years old, you really don't want that taken away from you, uh, and but that's that's what happened. And then I can remember from that point on, we would spend uh, some of the weekends with my dad, who now lived across town at 26, 10 and a half Elm Street, a little tiny house. And um, we'd go over there and and at least get to see him uh, during the weekends. And it was just hard. And I can remember on uh, one Saturday morning, my younger sister Robin and I, so at this time Robin's five and I'm seven, we get up on a Saturday morning and we decide to walk from Elm Street down to what's called the Guide Meridian, the guide, not too far from where we left. Um, and we would go into the fountain pharmacy, and I'd look at toys, and she'd look at trinkets, and somehow that was just like a, that was a fun thing for us to get to do. And then on the way back, um, and again, I called my sister Robin because I don't want to embellish this in any way. I want to be as accurate as possible, but a five-year-old and a seven-year-old should not be leaving by themselves to go cross busy streets called The Guide, right? And shopping and wandering. On our way back, as the Lord is my witness, and this is what happened, we're crossing a street and a very tall man, I know he must have been, and my father is about five foot 10. This guy was a big head and shoulders taller than I said. So this guy was, and his 6'6 six, six or something like that, big man, said, hey, kids, come over here. And so we we're just finishing crossing the street, which is scary enough. And somehow we went to him. And as we went to this tall stranger, I remember he knelt down. And we just walked right up to him. And he said, he looked at me and he said, do you believe God loves you? And I remember, I don't, you know, I don't know how to explain this uh, to pull you into how it happened for me, but it would be almost like if you could take a giant remote and put life on pause, and everything just kinda stopped. And here's this, you know how Miguel would get down on a knee like this a lot of times when you'd lead and chair, and, and here's this big man like that, on his knee looking at you, and he's just, and he said, do you believe God loves you? And I had never even talked about God with anyone to that point in my life, much less had somebody asked me what I thought or how I felt. And so I just kind of, it was just a pause. I remember looking over at my sister to see what she thought. And I mean, she was so disengaged. I mean, this poor little five-year-old, she's just like, you know, bouncing around, like, can we go to the candy store now thing? And so I look back at him at the man and he's still looking at me, eyeball to eyeball. And I I thought about it and I said, yes, I do believe God does love me. And it was such a cool thing for this little seven-year-old to have somebody ask me that question and to process it and it just made sense. So I thought that'd i be done, I'd be out of there and get onto the candy store with my sister. And then he asked me another question, he said, do you believe he would forgive you for anything you've ever done wrong? And so this, this landed so much more than what this man ever knew uh, standing out there in front of Sig's auto body shop on the guide meridian because what was killing me inside was the fact that I had in, in my own little seven-year-old way, I had expected my parents to forgive each other instead of divorce each other. I mean, right? People are going to fight, things are going to go wrong. I fought with my brothers and sisters all the time, but you don't abandon each other, right? And so I know things are complicated and all, things can go south. It's not a judgment thing, but I'm just saying in my heart, that's what I expected them to do, and it didn't happen. And then this man's asking me, do you believe God would forgive you for anything you've ever done wrong? And it was such a simple answer. <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. And so I said, yeah. I do believe he would. And, and then I started actually feeling good. And then I think, okay, now I can leave. And then he asked me one more question. And he said to me, he said, do you believe that he would want to live right? And he points and he touched my chest. It's like violating my space. And he touched my chest and he said, do you believe he'd want to live right there in your heart? And so I just didn't answer. I, it was so much for me to process that I didn't know how to answer that. And so uh, my sister and I moved on. We started walking back. And then all of a sudden I can remember that I felt like, you know what? I really do want God to live in my heart. And so I just went all seven-year-old in. I did. For this little seven-year-old, I just said it. I said, Jesus, I want you to come and live in my heart. And I can tell you that there was a shift that took place. I could almost hear the cars starting to go up and down the guide again. I could almost hear people running in and out of the stores all over again. But I was different that day. I was connected to a God who loved me, and I was good. That literally happened. Yeah, and and it was such an amazing catch-you-off-guard thing that even as I was preparing to share that this morning, I called my sister Robin. So we're talking 50 years later. I called her last week and I said, Robin, do you remember this particular day? She said, no, I can remember going to the, the pharmacy because we would do that. I can remember crossing the guidance and being unsupervised of which we never should have been. And, and so we talked like that. She said, but I don't remember that day. And I said, yeah, well, it really did change the course of my life. And she said, Marty, don't you find it fascinating that you were the first one in our family that became a believer and you went into the ministry? And she said, and I was there that day. I don't remember, but I was the second one in our family that became a believer too. She said, I really do believe something just happened that day. Isn't that amazing? And so I was so... uh, touched by being encouraged by uh, talking about it with Robin. But what I want to say happened back then now as a seven-year-old is that I went back to my house and I didn't tell anybody. My parents were not supportive at that time. They just had no place for God. So there, there wasn't a natural context to have a conversation about him, right? And so I just didn't tell anyone. And To be quite frankly, I felt kind of stupid because I started thinking it through that I just said that I really do believe that God who I've never seen before and I can't see loves me. I believe that even though you see all these churches, all these beautiful cathedrals that he wants to live in your heart and he forgives you repeatedly. When I started thinking it through, I actually thought what a stupid thing that I believed him. I honestly, we would watch the Peanuts things, the Charlie Brown. Do you remember the one on Halloween and they had the great pumpkin and Linus would be there in the pumpkin patch, really believing that the great pumpkin would come and each year it'd be like, Linus, you're so stupid for believing that. I felt that way. I honestly did. So I just didn't tell anyone. And um, it's fascinating to me that later on in my life, I came to a point of learning a little bit more around the depth of what it meant to have God love me. And then a little bit later on in my life, I learned at a very deep level uh, that for him to forgive me for anything cost him everything, right? And things started sinking in. And so then I started thinking, I don't care if this is stupid or not, I'm gonna start leaning into it. I'm gonna lean into it because I can trust in that because the rest of the stuff that goes on in the world is not quite so secure. The assurances really aren't there. So if I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna go down with this beautiful God who loves me. Who finds it in his heart every day, it's just natural for him to forgive me. And out of all the places he wants to live, friends, what did he bust out of, you know, after he was raised from the dead. He busted out of that temple. Why? Because he wanted to live right here in the human heart. That's where he's always wanted to be. So now I'm, I'm starting to really appreciate uh, this position that I'm in with the Lord such, so much more. And what I wanted to do today was to acknowledge that when we talk about the Lord with other people, we often feel stupid. It often feels awkward. And so a lot of times that keeps us from having very meaningful conversations. And I'd love to be able to acknowledge today that it is awkward. It is awkward. There's a lot of things that are awkward. My uh, stepdad, and I just love the guy so much, when he had the sex talk with me, can I tell you, it was awkward. (laughs) But I'm glad he had it, Uh, right? right? There's stuff that's gonna be awkward, lean into it and have conversation about it. And some of us need to raise our hands every now and then and just say, I don't get this. This is not making sense to me. Can we talk about this and have a conversation? And so the awkwardness is something that we, as believers, should be running the show on in terms of, okay, we're good at being awkward. We've got this. God's invisible. Can't be seen. He forgives repeatedly. He loves us and lives in us. Yeah, that's awkward. Let's talk about it. That's the place. We're the experts on this subject. And that's what I want to show you today. So I still feel a little bit nervous. I felt compelled to speak this uh, on this topic today. And so uh, Wes, the Wongs were at our house in our life group. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking next week. And before he even knew what I was speaking on, he was talking about sharing his uh, testimony. And he said, why is it that it's always so awkward to tell people about the Lord? I'd already written the subject of, and the outline of the message. And I just want to show you what my uh, sermon title was, and it's up here. But evangelism, why is it so awkward? <laughs> and I, Wes, I was so encouraged when you said that, because again, even that gave me courage to recognize this is probably the right subject matter. So if you don't mind, let's have a great awkward conversation and I'm gonna share some things that I I hope will make it less awkward in talking about the Lord. Number one, can I tell you this, that when you talk about the Lord, what's really taking place is that there is a spiritual transaction from on high. That the spirit of the living God is moving in our lives. That's the transaction to give human physical words to an expression for which there's no human comparison. That's awkward. But that's what's happening. God's spirit moves in us. We speak with words that solidify the truth of the spirit. That's evangelism. Are you with me? And then from God's perspective, it's good news. He says, I have some good news to share with you. And it's good. But the way that I'm going to approach it is I'm going to, it's going to be a spiritual good. It's forever good. And it's going to be hard to be able to share that in human terms. So lean into me and I'll give you the words at the right time. So that's how it really works. So what we're now going to be doing with evangelism is we're going to acknowledge that it's good news. We're going to acknowledge the simple truth that part of that good news Friends, this is responding to this question. Does God really love me? Part of it is acknowledging that he loves to forgive his children. All the time. And he just loves to. He loves to heal our wounds, right? He loves to talk to us and to call us his own. He loves to forgive us. That's who he is. That's what he does. But he, he's doing this. And what he's asking from us is that we just receive it as being truth. And that's called faith. And there's no way to see these truths become real until the human beings add our faith to them. That's the gospel. So here's a few points on the things that I believe will help um, us to make sharing sure our faith the right, what I call the right amount of awkward. Number one, is that faith is basically, it's a good news summary of what God has done. And so if we can move the conversation to what God has done instead of what he's done for me or what we're doing, but just who he is, that's a healthy way to move it. And so I've I've made so many mistakes in this in years of wanting to see other people know the Lord at the level that I know him. I've been much more at times debating the reality of God as opposed to just acknowledging who he is and what he's done. When we share the good news, friends, it's not a debate, it's good news. How many of you think that the debates, when you, even the presidential debates, those feel like good news to you, they feel like bad news? See what I'm saying? As soon as you call it debate, it's not good news, it's something different. And so I love the fact that with the Lord, it's, a, it's an invitation, what I call, to a collaborative conversation. He actually wants to hear from us. He wants to know where we're at. He wants us to figure it out together. He wants to be able to see good news as the beginning point of a forever relationship with somebody he's made in his own image. And so that's good news. So, I have a suggestion here. If you want to move it out of a debate, just ask a question. And then genuinely, and I mean genuinely, seek to understand what that person believes about the the question you asked. If they're seeking the Lord, then you get to do it together. If they're not seeking, it's going to move into a debate, and that's okay. Okay, I just haven't found debates being good news yet. So ask a question, then genuinely just seek, and then maybe you'll get another opportunity to seek them together. But that's the beauty of a, a conversation versus a debate. Number two on this is that it's, it's not a way to grow religious institutions, but to see people set free from control. A lot of times when we share with people about the message of Jesus, the good news, it's almost what we're really trying to do is to get them to come to our events, Join our churches. Contribute to our causes. This is, we should be going, instead of like, amen, we should be going, out, right. But we do that, and it's understandable because those institutions and those things have been beneficial to us. Right? So we want to kind of like impute that on other people. But that's not really what it's about. The good news is about helping another person understand they don't have to be controlled by institutions. They don't have to be controlled by their past. They don't have to be controlled by their current situations. They can be set free as a child of the Most High God. That's good news, right? And so even if we had the ultimate church, we had the ultimate opportunities and areas of ministry, it pales in comparison to what the Lord can do for us. So it's about being rightly connected with the Lord. It's not an attempt to prove the existence of God, but to share our personal convictions about him. So I want to to suggest that it is important for us as believers to know what we believe. We should study the word to prove ourselves disciples of the Lord, right? We should be good students. We We should want to grow in maturity. We should want to know Uh, who he is and what he's done. We should want to know truth because the truth sets us free. But then what we should be doing is developing deep convictions about what we believe. And when you have deep convictions, you don't have to convince anybody of anything because you have convictions not convincing. And uh, when we have deep convictions, that's where the spirit works. Now we have authority and stature as we communicate and have conversations with people. And it doesn't bother us when they say something that's a little bit off or this or that. Why, because we know what we believe. We have deep convictions. I'm not offended if they're starting some other place over here. Could you imagine this little seven-year-old understanding what I barely did about the Lord coming in and trying to have a debate with some high priest, somewhere? I mean, it's, it's just, that would just be awkward. It doesn't work that way. You receive people where they're at in their walk with the Lord because you have deep convictions. And so we need to have them, but let's really make sure that we're not trying to convince people of anything except having great conversations with them. Isn't that good enough? Yes. It's not a way to earn favor with God, but a way for people to experience God's unconditional love. I have to admit there's a part of me that used to think if I can just see people come to Jesus, then when I die and go to heaven, I'll have, like, rewards. I I, I know why somebody just laughed. Good for you. I mean, I really, I'm such an achiever type of person by nature. I mean, I'm the child number three of seven kids. I mean, you better fight for stuff, right? And that was, a, I'm just sometimes way too aggressive. In fact, one time the Lord said, you need to be patient. I said, okay, I'll be aggressively patient. I got this one. That's the way I'm wired. And so I started thinking, I need, I need to see people come into the kingdom. I mean, even if I have to kind of threaten them, they need to get in. I'm serious. I used to yell, hey, there could be a snake. You could be bitten. You could die today. I mean, I live in Texas. These things happen. You know, turn before you get bit. And I mean, a little zealous. My poor family, uh, oh my gosh, I was the first Christian in the family when I did start speaking, they were like, oh, you know, here he comes. <laughs> and then I learned, you know what? I don't have to earn God's favor by convincing people to want to give their lives to him. What I need to do is to love them unconditionally. And somehow that gives God work, right? In their lives where they really need to have things land. And so then I had to learn what unconditional means. Can I tell you that when you can take the word patient and then say aggressively patient, you're you're not great with words. So unconditional, this is what, the Lord had to say this to me. Unconditional means no conditions. So as soon as I attach a condition, it's not unconditional. I'll love you when. Just ruined it. I'll love you if. Just killed it. I love you because he loves me. Do you believe that God loves you? No conditions. See, and when when we do that, it's so different, isn't it? And we can do that, but we can only do it with his love first, for he first loved us. So I, I'm, I'm really working hard at not messing up unconditional and letting it mean what it does. I have so many friends in so many different walks of life. I have people that are so much sharper than I am. I have people that are younger and older and, and just in all sorts of uh, different venues. And I can tell you that I genuinely love and learn from each one of them. Each one of them made in the image of God, each one of them have a story to tell, and some of that story I can learn from, my life can be different if I listen and lean into these folks. That's the truth. And, I, and when you really believe that, then they'll start talking to you. And then it's also uh, going to be a little bit less awkward if we don't make it a, what I call a shallow promise about uh, wealth and health. So this prosperity gospel thing has really made the gospel awkward. It really has. The name it and claim it, because number one, it doesn't work, and number two, that's not God's promise. Right. 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 So let's think for just one moment the way that Jesus recruited people. Now, not the way we think he recruited people. Let's go back the way when he walked on planet Earth and he walked up to people and said, hey, Peter, I got a really good idea. Leave your fishing business behind and come follow me. Hey, James and John... Why don't you do the same? Hey, Matthew, quit collecting taxes, man. That's just your occupation. Give it all up. Come follow me. Are you with me? This doesn't seem like name it, claim it. And so people follow that kind of concept. It doesn't work, and they know it's shallow. And so let's move away from that, and let's just acknowledge that God's promise is huge. God's promise isn't about just making us Tolerable during our time on earth, it's allowing the kingdom of God to open up and change us forever. That's what it that's his promise. And so that's the way that I'd like for us to be able to see that we have some conversations and if we're gonna walk in this forever kingdom, I would like to be the first to raise my hand and say, guess what, Lord? I need you. And I need you to bring forever people in my life. And when I have that, I think we're going to go somewhere. And if I don't have that, not so good. It's just that simple. And so that's how we can make it a little bit less uh, cumbersome. And so, uh, I, you know, I don't want to downplay the fact that he can bring uh, health or wealth to us. I'm praying for that. In fact, uh, I actually prayed this morning, and I'm being a little vulnerable here, but I prayed, Lord, would you increase my metabolism? I, this just made sense to me because he knows I like to eat. So I, I'm just telling, and Marcy, there's these homemade biscuits and I jumped on him today. Like, I mean, I eat them like little pills. And so, and I'm not going to be totally sloppy. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to do these things. But if he increased my tab, my metabolism, that would really help me, right? So I'm still willing to do my part. But I, I want his help. Because I need them. If it doesn't work, then I'll tighten it up and eat less and work harder. But I'm going to at least give them a shot. (laughs) I know. I want my wife's health to be at the top of her game. She's had a tough couple of years and some years. And so I'm praying, Lord, it would be so sweet if you would just love her on her that way. Just love on her that way. If you don't, the good news is, because I've been married to her for 37 years, she's not going to love you any less or love you any differently. But it wouldn't make it easier on all of us as a family, right? So, Lord, if that, if that can help, do it. If not, we're still going to lean into you and love on you. But I'm not going to make the gospel so shallow that I'm telling you that my love's conditioned upon you treating me the way I want to be treated. Right? All right. Let's go to the second point. And this, this is the point where Scripture's going to tell us uh, how it is that we are the ones that are actually required to do this um, gospel. And so it's found in Acts 1.8. And so Acts 1.8, we know that. We've heard these verses before. So if you remember, the uh, Lord has uh, been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. He's appeared to people. He's told the apostles to wait upon him, and he's going to come, and he's going to meet them in Jerusalem, and then he's going to set their course. They're there waiting, and when he shows up, it's interesting if you read the whole thing. The first question they ask him is, when are you going to set all this stuff right? That's the question they ask him if you read it. And he he starts off in in verse uh, 7 by saying, that's not the point. Then he gets to verse 8, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Isn't that powerful? So he says to them, don't worry about all that stuff, but I'm going to empower you to do something. What is it? You shall be my witnesses. Now, for some of us, we go like this. That means I'm off the hook because it's the apostle's job to uh, be his witnesses. Well, this promise, you'll see as the Holy Spirit comes out, it falls on all the believers there that day. Amen? Amen. Not just those 12. But wait, it gets better. So now, uh, again, if you... uh, are aware of Ephesians 4, and 12. This is what's called the five-fold ministry. It's where God's word says, but I have given apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to you, he's talking to the church, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. So if that's true, and it is, And let's say that it was only the apostles that got the power to be the witnesses. Then what he said is, I gave them to the rest of the church to empower them, to equip them to do the work. So we are, no matter what, you can't get out of this. We're the ones who do the work of the ministry. And here's the beauty of it. We're empowered. His Holy Spirit comes on us, gives us the insight. And then what happens is, as we speak in human terms from the insight the Holy Spirit's given us, it's like those spirit words become physically true. They solidify these truths to where even a little seven-year-old kid can go like, yeah, guess what? God really does love me. The man actually said them. Hey, guess what? Of course he'd forgive me. Hey, I wish my parents could feel this forgiveness. Hey, wow, he can live inside of me. I don't have to go to the biggest, baddest building ever to feel close to him. I can't get any closer than having him in here, right? Does it, do these things make sense? And so that's a spirit truth. And so the power comes from within. And I just really appreciate that. However, we have a responsibility. And our responsibility is to believe it. We are the ones who carry the good news. We are the ones empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a voice of God to people who don't know God. Amen. Isn't that nuts? Isn't that supposed to be just a little bit awkward? All right, so now, just in case it hasn't set, set in enough, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. I love this passage. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, Behold, the old things have passed away, new things have come. Isn't that amazing? Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us uh, to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All right, so God's made us new, we're new creatures. We could talk about being a new creature all day long. Isn't that amazing? We're no longer just a human. We now have the life of God living in us, so we move from human mode to creature mode. I love it. We can't, you can't even explain what it is to have God live in you in just human language. You're a new creature. And if you know the Greek in here, it's Aristence, the old things, have passed away and will continue to pass away. That's what it's really saying. At one point, bam, they no longer have a hold on you. It's done. And they will continue to have to get out of your life. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. Bam, they've landed. Now how they get walked out, that's how we lean into it. They're here. Guess what? You are a new creature. You may not look like the best you yet. But you are new in Him. You're something different. You have the DNA of God Himself resonating in your little humanhood. That's amazing. And then it says, and now I've got a plan. You go out and carry this message. That's a hard message to carry. A little awkward, right? And so. When we look at the end, we're at 19, it says, namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So now I just want to hit a few things here. The uh, pronouns in this passage are very important, All right. When it says that he has called us or given us this ministry of reconciliation, that us is us. Right. That's people who have been made new. It didn't say, and he has given to Dave Reesinger the ministry of reconciliation. Right. It didn't say, and he gave the responsibility to the mother to raise the children. We, we all do these things, right? We're all in this together. And so it's us, it's third person plural, it's those who have been uh, transformed by the life of God that now come together to do these things. And I find that wonderful, completely wonderful. Again, um, I'd also like to make sure we understand what reconciliation means. I was in Costco as the Lord is my witness yesterday. We got there at 9.15 so that we could be the first because I had to return something. Don't buy the uh, self-dimming outlets at Costco. They're made in China, and they really don't work. So, uh, so I'm stand- I did that. Two of them, couldn't get either of them to pair. I'm standing in I get to Costco. I stand in line. I come up to the man. He looks at him. He goes, you bought those two, huh? I said, yeah, these ones not working so good. He said, nope. And... Uh, he said, well, I'll give you the return, and he types it in, uh, and he goes, it's not working. And I said, well, you know, no problem. I really—I was waiting on uh, Katie and Jason. Marcy was out looking at stuff. I wasn't in a hurry, I was fine. I needed to be by the door anyways for when Katie came. So I'm just sitting there, and, and then the guy's starting to lose it. He, does it. he does the whole return again, it doesn't work, And he said, well, I don't know what's wrong. It's just been working all, you know, it's been working. I don't know. And then he said, this stupid thing's from Fisher Price and the kids (laughs) die. And I said, said, hey, it's fine. I'm not, I'm all good. And then his third time, he finally gets it. And as he's getting it, I felt like this is what was revealed to me. And again, this is awkward to admit it. I know it may sound weird. I felt like the Lord said, this is what reconciliation is. It's returning things that are wrong that don't work. And getting an exchange for them. Reconciliation is telling people get in the exchange return line because the stuff that you've been doing doesn't work and there's a better way. And it just landed on me, and how, thank you, Lord. I was in the wrong dumb line, working with the wrong, pro- I had worked like two hours trying to get those switches to work. I, I was so frustrated, I thought, I'm taking them back. I wish I would have done it from, you know, beginning. It's not that bad to stand in the return line. Aren't you glad there are? they have them? I love Costco. God has a return line. And this, is, this isn't that bad for us. We're actually the people that go, hey, people, if it doesn't work, take it back. God does returns. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Your life isn't working so good. Return it. Yeah. Yeah. We should be breaking out of that Elvis song. Return to Sender." Address address unknown. Return it. I love it. So many of us, we try our best. We're doing stuff that's hard. It's not working. Don't keep trying to stick it out with stuff that doesn't work. Get in the return line. That's our ministry. There is a Lord. He loves you. He will make all things new. All the old stuff will be dealt with by him. It is time to move on for the thing of which you were created to, which is knowing him. That's our ministry. And it's for each of us. So God even calls us ambassadors for the return line. Slide six is that being the case, I just want you to know that God has set us up as imperfect humans to speak up, to speak out. If this is true, and it's hard to speak up sometimes, I just want you to know, don't worry, we are not the object of the conversation. Sometimes I'm afraid to speak up because I think people will start judging me. It's not about me. If I've shared the conversation, it's about him. And I don't mind them judging him because he's above judge, right? Yeah. It's okay. He doesn't mind that people misunderstand him. I bet one third of the stuff I've said today is, probably needs help, Right? but so far in my life this is as accurate as I know how to be and I'm sharing it from my heart but I'm just going to share it but I want to make it about him and who he is and what he's done we are not the object of the conversation if they move it to us well I would become a Christian if it wasn't for all the Christians I met it's like you know help me understand more what is it about Christians that have pushed you away come at it from that approach because Jesus came to all people and he's here for you too Keep bringing it back that way. Ask questions. Number two is we are not the backup squad for conviction. Aren't you glad? Man, I carried that badge for a while. Don't drink or smoke or chew or go with girls that do. I mean, we're the, if you will behave this way, you will fit in my church. If you act this way, you will be my child. If you don't, we're going to circle around this again. I'm sorry, Meg, Sarah, and Katie so much. We are not the backup squad for good behavior. You know, I've got one word for you. John the Baptist. That guy was a renegade, and he was one of the best believers ever. Aren't you glad he's not your child? Could you imagine? Can you see God doesn't care about behavior? He's looking for a motive. He's looking for something so much deeper. He's looking for fire in your bones. He's looking for a whole new life. He's looking for a place where his spirit can rest. And we are not the one responsible to close the eternal deal. It's our responsibility to share, to speak up, to pray and be there to ask questions and answer people the best we know how. I'm there to be able to support, encourage and love unconditionally. I'm not there to close the deal or force them to pray the prayer. There's been so many people that I've seen in ministry where they, they're called to pray the prayer and they've prayed the prayer and they thought that that was really it, that praying the prayer saves them. No, can I tell you what sets you right with God? Is when you say to the Lord, I'm so thankful that you really love me. I'm so thankful that you would lay down your very life for me to heal my hurts, to give me a new identity, a new life, to forgive me. I'm so thankful that you want to live with me. And then this is what we do. We just go, and I'm all in on that. I don't know exactly where it's gonna take me. I don't know all that it really means, but on that, I'm all in. That's how a person comes into a living forever relationship with the Lord. So let let the Lord help close the deal. I've got a good idea for you. is What you do is you just say, instead of trying to make them pray a prayer, do do the opposite and say, After, because we've had this conversation, is there a way that I could pray for you? Ask them, how would you like to be prayed for? And wouldn't that be a good question? Just ask them, then pray for them. Then watch God do what God does. I'd like to now get back to my family story because I've left a few people out and I don't want to do that. Um, My mother was, at this point, about 29 years old, there were five of us kids in the divorce. And she, this is during the Vietnam War, meets a 19-year-old, a teenager, uh, who's on leave or however that works. He's Air Navy, so he's Woodby island. He's uh, playing in Bellingham and meets my mother. 1929. They get married. So a 19-year-old marries a 29-year-old with five kids. I can remember, being, you know, six or seven or whatever, I was thinking, this was not a good choice. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just thinking, this is never gonna work. And I, I say it laughingly because uh they stayed married, and I can't, I think 48 years, but he was there for her when she passed away, served her in an amazing, remarkable way. Couldn't have more love and and uh, respect uh, for him as uh, a dad. I don't, I don't, Uh, I call him stepdad only to make sure that you understand that that was the mechanics, but I call him dad because he's that kind of a person. Amazing dad. So they get married. We move from Little Bellingham to Houston, Texas. And we have uh, another uh, sister, my uh, youngest sister, Polly. Then we have another uh, child, my youngest brother, Richard. So now we have seven kids. And a remarkable life of trying to make all that work, now enter in a bunch of difficulties. I mean, some really hard things happen. And in that, we do everything we can stay, do to stay together as a family. But in that, we had continued to leave the Lord out. That's just the truth. There wasn't, in our perspective, a place for God to intervene. It wasn't in our faith. We didn't believe that that was part of what we had available to us. So that just never did happen. I go into the ministry um, and in that, I continue to do everything I can to bring my beliefs into this family. And sometimes I'm doing it in a way that's overzealous and religious. That's why I could speak today on not, how not to do it. Amen? Amen. And so I don't know if my dad and my brothers and sisters who I've mentioned by name um, are going to hear this or not. And whether they do, that's okay. But I just want to spiritually acknowledge that through my aggressive, impatient behavior, that sometimes the way I shared my uh, convictions of the Lord was counterproductive for them to hear. And I'm really sorry. I'd also like to uh, thank several of them for listening despite how well I shared it. I'm so thankful I got to see uh, my brother Richard give his life to the Lord, I got to baptize him. I'm so thankful that Polly and her family allowed me to be a part of seeing uh, them have an amazing opportunity uh, to talk about what they believed about Jesus and to be baptized. I'm so grateful that I've got to baptize nephews and nieces and different people. Uh, I'm so thankful that even uh, my mother, who developed Alzheimer's, who had never wanted to hear anything about the Lord, that during the Alzheimer's, she forgot for a moment that she didn't like God. And we had a conversation without any animosity. There was a window where it was just free. And I said, I said Mom, after you leave this earth, where do you think you go? I just after that. And she said, you know, I'm not really sure. And I said, well, Mom, this is what I believe. I believe this. And I said, I believe God loves me, that He forgave me, and somehow He's alive in me now, so that when I die, I'll do kind of like what He did, which is I'll just get resurrected and I won't have this earth problem anymore. And she looked at me, and she said, Oh, I wish I had the faith to believe that. And I said, Mom, you've just nailed it. It is faith. And that faith can be given to you. Just ask him to have faith. Ask him for it. Tell him you believe it. Step out. And she just smiled and nodded. And she said, and she said yeah, yeah, I do. I do think I have faith for this. So I'm so thankful that I got to have that opportunity to do that in, in, uh, in a way that was setting the Lord up to be able to reveal who he really is, right? And then the most beautiful thing happened for me just a couple of weeks ago, is around Thanksgiving. I was heading to Houston to do a wedding for one of my nieces, and in the process, I was spending time with my dad, and I could tell his health wasn't good. Marcy and I were very concerned about him, and he was just making the most of it. We got back, and then sure enough, I got a phone call that said he had a heart attack. This was his second one and that his heart was at 20% capacity and it wasn't looking good and they had him in the VA um, hospital. So I flew down and um, I realized that this might be the last time I ever had to get to talk with him. You wanna know about awkward, right? And so I actually just said to him, "Um, dad, I I need to have an awkward conversation with you. Uh And I said, first of all, I want you to know from the bottom of my heart how much I love you for the way you loved me as a kid. How much I respect you for the way you loved on my mom. I, I couldn't be more thankful that that 19-year-old punky kid gave it all. It's pretty impressive. And I just thanked him for that. And I also said to him, Dad, I also really do want to know what you do believe about what's next for your life. And this is what his answer was. It was a beautiful thing. It really shocked me. He said, I'm not sure, but I know this. I want to be with your mother. Yeah. So I'm just thinking, wow, he really does believe in life after death, right? This, this is not as far off as I thought it was. And I said, well, this is what I understand how that happens. And he looked at me in the way that he does. I mean, he's this big, tough Texan guy. And he said, well, you've given me something to think about, and I will reflect on this. And I said, thanks, Dad. I'm glad. So that's where that's at right now. It's not easy having these conversations with people. But we've got to do it. Why? Because it's our ministry. It's our calling. It's God empowering. God is working all these events in different people's lives just so that we can come in and love on them unconditionally and tell the truth. That's the way it's really going down. Right now, my oldest sister, Kim, I've seen her fighting so hard uh, just to support her husband. Stan's been going through a cancer. They're a couple of years into it. I mean, I just think of this amazing sister, and I just want her so much to be able to know the strength and the help of the Lord, right? I look at my older brother, Chris, and he risked everything to go to Columbia to be with his son. He's back with his, he's just laid it down, and I just think of how God gave us his son. Would fight for us, like my brother's fighting for his own son. And I just want him to know the power of the Lord, right? And that he's really doing things that God wants us to do, and to be able to have it from this perspective of having faith and being all in. That's what we're really setting people up for. And when, it, when you say it like that, I know it just doesn't feel so awkward. How about you? Yeah. I went and I'll conclude with this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Is that God's promise is pretty amazing. We've already talked about the promise. His promise that he's going to love us. His promise that he's going to forgive us. His promise is that he's able to come and live within us. What he's asking from us is this. Will you place your faith in me? That's when it happens. And so we need to be able to have that conversation and to allow people to express their faith or or question their faith, but we need to talk about it. And I want to make sure that when you do talk about it, that you give people what I call the disclaimer, because When I actually, as a little seven-year-old, went all in with the Lord, nobody really told me how incredible it was really going to be. My life was set up to be the first one to go to college, to be successful, to get out of poverty, right? I was going to the University of Washington Graduate School for Mass Transit when I took a left turn and went to seminary instead. Disclaimer. When you give your life to the Lord, it really takes you places, man. It'll it'll just make everything different. It'll just, it'll change your thoughts, it'll change the things that you thought were important. It's gonna change literally everything. And so, be prepared. Things will become new. And things will change. And I like to say, and you may feel a little awkward. That's a disclaimer, hallelujah. Evangelism is an opportunity for us to tell the good news to be a part of a spiritual transaction where the power of God becomes real in the life of a human being and the things that we say and the things that we do actually solidify heaven on earth. Hey, Redeem, are you ready? Yeah. I like some of the tools that we were, we've been given. Um, I like this 21 day uh, prayer campaign. So yeah, uh, do any of you have these little red cards? You just write the name of three people that you want to pray for that you're asking the Lord to move on. And maybe, wouldn't it be cool if when I'm in the line at Costco doing a return that I run into one of your buddies? We, I mean, that's how this stuff can work. But, but put some names out and just pray for people. And then I also love this, I have to admit, I've never been to Alpha because I've always been too aggressive of a person. And so now I, I, hey, people change. And so I'm so excited to be able to invite some folks to come and just have an open, collective, collaborative conversation where we get to learn from each other and maybe move forward together in our walk with God, amen? And so these cards are gonna be available. I wanna encourage you as ministers of reconciliation, pray for people, take these cards and invite somebody. Can we do it? I also wanted to uh, acknowledge uh, today that I'm so grateful to be a part of the body of Christ. And when you think of what the body of Christ is, it's not a church so much as it is human beings doing the work the ministry that Jesus would do if he were here. And by the way, he is. He's just in us and the work's done through us. So we're as good as it gets. Let's do this thing. Let's stand, we're gonna have a uh, time to close in song. As you stand, think of those names. Just ask the Lord to show you the names of the people that you're going to be praying for. And if anybody wants to be prayed for, I'll be down here. Worship team, thank you so much for uh, leading us in worship.